1: I'm Tosh Robinson, here again with Scott Tobias and Genevieve Kosky. Keith's sitting this one out so he can go run up and down a beach in slow motion, but we're assuming he's going to tire himself out and then he'll be back soon. (laughs) (laughs) On the first half of this episode, we looked at Betty Thomas's 1995 comedy The Brady Bunch movie, which reproduced the 1970s TV staple The Brady Bunch on screen with just a little bit of winking at the audience about how campy the original show looks today. In this half, we're headed to the beach for Baywatch, featuring Dwayne Johnson and Zac Efron, as lifeguards who keep exceeding their mandate and running off to solve crimes. Like the Brady Bunch movie, Baywatch is full of visual gags and pointed nods to the audience in the fourth wall, but the actors mostly keep straight faces and pretend that they're in a real drama, where it actually makes sense for the schlubbiest guy on the beach to get hired as a lifeguard and score the girl of his dreams, and where it also mostly makes sense for a murder mystery, a drug cartel blowout, and a kidnapping to all happen within 10 feet of the busiest lifeguard station on the beach, we're staring into the abyss here. City council's already cut our funding. It's up to us to restore the Baywatch brand. I'm Matt Brody, ready
0: for duty.
2: Can you just uh, look at my boobs. I. You should look at my face.
0: I'm trying, but it's so close to your boobs. Ha. Yeah. This is the guy you think is a good PR opportunity for us.
1: Do some shots.
0: <laughs> He's reckless. <laughs>
1: with two gold medals how many gold medals do you have probably zero
0: we got a dead body on our beach
2: that's not our job
0: my gut says there's some bad shit going
1: on over there and my balls say we need to check it out my balls say
2: it's just he's right what
0: do your balls sound like three-year-old girls
2: i don't know man that's just how they talk but they're wise
1: all right guys how did Baywatch hit you mm, that's
0: so good that's so good uh, <laughs> tasha i did not have a great time at this though though i think we were saying before the show that we were all a little taken aback by just how much critics yeah seem good-ing. to hate this film yeah. um though i think our friend josh rothkoff had some kind of things to say it and our, our um our acquaintance a.o scott was also a little mm-hmm. bit kinder th- than others but the consensus on this was like is that it's really dire I, i'm not sure I can, i'm on board with that yeah, there, but I, I didn't like it
2: there's a glimmer of something in this movie that you can see peeking mm-hmm. out like the the opening scene i was feeling really optimistic about it like the kind of the rock's mitch character patrolling the beach and he, it's just like really digging into like what a ridiculous kind of hero character he mm-hmm. is there's like crazy like dolphins jumping around the logo and it, it was kind of the self-awareness that i was hoping i would get from yeah. from this and like that self-awareness continues throughout the film it's just buried beneath dick jokes
1: <laughs> and
2: Not very funny kind of improv based comedy and like I I kept feeling like I was seeing a much weirder stranger movie struggling to get out and it just it couldn't and it it really kind of failed because of that
0: Yeah, I, you're absolutely right though. That opening is so smart because he's the the Rock is playing Mitch Buchanan Which is the name of the yeah. Hasselhoff character and um, you know, he's just like he's perched well, Is only the rock can perch, uh, mm-hmm. bald eagle like on top of his <laughs> uh, on top of the lifeguard station. And there's uh, like a stiff gust of wind, yeah. and the flag stiffens, and then he can just tell everything that's right. going to happen from then on. Out, he's, he's calculating the trajectory of this parasail as it's whipping through the air. He just knows what's going to happen and he gets there in time to save the uh victim drags him out of the water and then you've got the the wave cresting in the background with the title and the dolphins it's yeah. just like okay this this kind of gets it and this is going to be good and then, and then that's the best joke of the entire film
1: <laughs> oh i you know i don't know about that i i think i liked this movie a fair bit more than either than you guys did or than the general critic consensus did and maybe it's because I went in with literally no expectations. Like, I knew a fair number of people that were really hoping for this to be like a big, surreal, uh, hilarious, over-the-top mess. And I, I went in expecting literally, Like I, I think, I, if anything, I went in kind of expecting to hate it. Except mm. for the fact that, uh, that Dwayne Johnson's in it. I mean, you mentioned that there's like a glimmer of something going on. As far as I'm concerned, that glimmer is like the light hitting his teeth <laughs> whenever uh-huh. he smiles. He just, he has a very winning way about doing this kind of like macho yet self-effacing humor. Again, it's like a weird balancing act, the stuff that he does, especially here where, I mean, it's very slightly harder edged than he usually goes like he's in the ads at least I feel like some of this was edited out of the film but in the ads he's calling people bitch and pussy he's like just constantly ragging on Zac Zac Efron and I I have to admit I laughed every single, single time he called Zach Efron NSYNC or Bieber or like whatever boy band uh, reference he was pulling but out Scrubs of his ass. Did it first. Oh, see, that's that's <laughs> the problem. Cause I've seen it. I've only seen a very small subsection of Scrubs. Yeah, that
2: was like an ongoing joke in Scrubs, where John C McGinley's character was always calling Zap Raph's character like a girl's name, and it was like a big deal when he called him by his real name. Like that joke just felt taken straight from Scrubs. But I mean, the, the Rock like pulls it off because he is very winning. But I think The Rock was actually kind of a problem in this movie for me because, I mean, he's his performance is not. A problem, but the fact that this movie is centered on him, I think, is a problem because he is a movie star. He's incredibly charismatic. He's a hard worker. He can like deliver whatever you need him to deliver. He is not a natural comedic talent. I don't mm. think that he is naturally funny enough to be the peg for a, a comedy. You know, I think he would be a good straight man. But like both him and Zach Efron, I think the comedic expectations placed on them as the the anchors of this comedy they it's a bad fit i think
0: well i think that i mean we, we talked about the brady much before it would have been helpful i think to have someone who is more hasselhoff like than the rock ends up being i think that would have made for a funnier uh movie to have that kind of cheesiness i mean you know yeah. the rock is still there's still a certain hipness to the, to him you know uh, that, that he hasn't quite shaken and and uh, he's not tacky in the same way that david mm, hasselhoff is tacky's
2: and, a good word for what was missing here
0: <laughs> yeah well in rigor is really what's missing is just you know again if we're talking about the brady bunch of that are so strongly conceptualized and mo- most of the jokes pay off on the premise and and this is like a collection of things that do reference the show mm-hmm. and do reference how silly the show is and a bunch of just random stuff yeah that's kind of tasteless or broad and loud
2: yeah i mean i i always like i'm kind of uncomfortable making this distinction without you know having heard it from the filmmakers but i'm pretty sure that like a fair amount of this comedy was improvised um like i don't think this was as tightly scripted as the brady bunch movie was you know and we we see in the credits of Baywatch there's a bunch of like bloopers and you see a bunch of like Mm -hmm. takes that were not in the movie and I I get the sense that like the jokes that maybe I didn't like were the ones that were improvised by The Rock or Zac Efron or Mm -hmm. you know the the rest of the cast and that's kind of the de facto approach to a lot of comedy now Um, but look at something like Neighbors which I think is like kind of the tier that this movie was aiming for the Zac Efron connection obviously is there but Zach Efron was paired in that movie with Seth Rogen and Rose Byrne, actually, who are both like really, really strong comic presences and are smart and can tweak something just right. And, you know, for as great as The Rock is at pretty much everything, I don't think he has that like tweaked element to his character.
1: I just find it difficult to believe that this was a like an improv heavy comedy film, because I don't think of any of these people as improv people. Like, I really enjoyed Zach Efron a lot in, in both of the Neighbors movies but he's he's definitely playing the straight man there you know he's playing the antagonist in the first one and then he's playing just kind of this like soulful victim of his own uselessness in the second film and he's like all he's meant to be bringing across is kind of pain and vulnerability wrapped up in this like very macho meaty body and it's meant to be like contrasting and, and interesting and he's kind of doing the Exact same thing here, where he's all about like the vulnerability and the failings of the character and how he covers them over, you know, both with this negative 27% body fat body and. The, the bluffness of somebody who thinks he's on top of the world when he's not so but I, I just I don't think of him as an improv comic. I don't think no, of, he's uh, not. I don't think of Dwayne Johnson as an improv comic.
2: <laughs> yeah, no no, I, that's kind of my point is they're not, but I think that this movie was made the way most comedy movies today are, which is that that is something that you do you know and you just you, you see what sticks you, yeah. you, you get some extra it's takes because yeah, yeah because this is we're, we're on digital and you can take as many takes as you want and until you strike on something funny
0: i mean this is from the director of horrible bosses which is touting for some reason yeah.
2: so but you have to go like pretty deep into the supporting cast to find someone who can reliably do that i mean rob hubel is here as mm-hmm. like a corrupt captain who you know is corrupt the first the scene you see him, you, you mm-hmm. see him and like Hannibal Buress is always funny and brings in an interesting comedic texture, kind of with his vibe. But he's kind of killed off unceremoniously here. <laughs> yeah, he's and not in
1: very much of the film
2: at all. No, so no. so you're left with this group of these like six central lifeguards who, and they're all just kind of duds with the exception of. Dwayne Johnson and Zach Efron, but like the only reason they're not duds because they kind of have this movie star charisma, not necessarily comedic chops.
1: I feel like the only person I really got that comedian vibe from, that that feeling that here was somebody who is used to improv style comedy and possibly improv a bunch of his role, uh, was John Bass, the guy who was playing the Ooh, <laughs> Ronnie the Schlubby dude. Yeah, yeah the shlubby dude Ronnie who mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm so tired of that dynamic. Mm -hmm. And the second he showed up, like, mooning over the uh, lifeguard lady who appeared to have absolutely no personality except nice girl who's going to be willing to throw herself on his schlubby body, I was like, "Uh, please tell me we're going to, like, undercut this or (laughs) we're going to play with this trope in some way. We're going to do something new with it. And it isn't just straight up Seth Rogen gets the hottest girl in the movie. Like, We're going to acknowledge at least that this is a really dumb trail. This is a
0: self-aware movie. It has to do it, right? We didn't. We no. didn't. Did didn't
1: blink an eye. Mm-hmm. Didn't pull a rug. It didn't bat bat a nose. I don't know. I, I already used an. <laughs> eye he gets himself
0: in into some pretty embarrassing predicaments too.
1: But the, also, there's just that scene where there <laughs> everybody's trying out to be uh, the lifeguards, and we mm-hmm. we get all of this stuff about how you know it's the most difficult job on the beach, and we're going to like put you through hell. And you see all these hard bodies working their asses off for that job, and then they're like let's give it to the comedy guy. Like, this will this'll work out great. And then you are assigned to bang him so all of the <laughs> schlubby guys in the audience feel good about themselves.
2: Yeah. Well, and, like, with that character, like, the, the reason they gave for him to become one of these elite lifeguards is, like, he showed a lot of heart. You know, he kept coming back. He mm-hmm. really wanted it, but there's such better reasoning and like there's hints of it in this they just like didn't take the joke far enough but there's like all these little like asides about he's gonna be the tech guy and like no he's not a tech guy like but he ends up being the tech guy like that's what they end up using him for and like just acknowledge that just acknowledge that like you brought the schlubby dude on because you needed the tech guy you know and they never really engaged with that idea not that that would have changed the terrible dynamic with him and cj like that's a completely different you know lazy trope but like if you're gonna do a lazy trope like you said like acknowledge it but they didn't acknowledge it here they acknowledge some things they acknowledge yeah. like like you said in the intro like how crazy it is it like this group of lifeguards is uh elite crime fighting squad you know and like zach efron's character is one who's like constantly saying shouldn't we call the police let's just call the police you know like feels like a a weird lazy
1: possibly fun tv
2: show yeah yeah
0: Yeah. i mean that that is every one of those movies has to have that moment um you know it's 21 jump street has the, the the really good version of this which is uh, we're reviving a canceled undercover police program from the 80s and revamping it for modern times. <laughs> it, you see, this, the guys in charge of this stuff lack creativity, are completely out of ideas, so all they do is recycle bleep from the past and expect us not to notice, which is great. Baywatch's version is sounds like a really entertaining but far TV show. Wink.
1: I, he shouldn't. Zach Efron should not have actually said wink.
0: <laughs> that was a big mistake. One of the many mistakes think, with that character, too, is like, that was a, that was supposed to be, I think, a Ryan Lochte. Ryan Lochte, yeah, but, for sure. But then, just if you're going to do that, then go all the way with it. It's Bleach
2: just, his hair. Come yeah, on, <laughs> do something
0: like really. But but they could have done that Brady Bunch thing and really gotten the feel of Baywatch right, gotten the reference, some of the references right. Um, you know, had a, a certain amount of self awareness and silliness to it. I think that would have worked so much better than just occasionally doing it and then just throwing everything else at the wall. It was frustrating this movie. Um how, how for me,
1: I mean one of the problems was just I, like I was fine with the dynamic between Ephron's character and Dwayne Johnson's character where D- Ephron is uh arrogant and entitled and shows up expecting to have things handed to him and Dwayne Johnson says it's not going to work that way. But they they hit that story beat like 47 mm-hmm. times. I mean it just it gets really really repetitive. Uh, It's like the same dialogue over and over. And as I say, I like the movie, I think, more than a lot of critics did. And I laughed at a bunch of the jokes. But around the fourth time Dwayne Johnson was reading him the riot act about how he can't be so entitled and he's not getting on this team, I was like – did they mix up the reels? Like, I I don't know. I've been going to mix up the reels, uh, humor a lot lately. And it, it really does not work in a digital age where the whole film is just like vomited forth in one digital track. But it, it really felt like we were just watching the same act of the movie over and over and
2: over. Maybe that's why it's 116 minutes long. Like it does yeah. not need to be this long. Yeah, both Brady movies get in and out in about yeah, yeah, ninety. You're, you're, yeah,
0: I didn't mention this when you were you're talking about it in, on the first episode, but you were saying the um, real estate subplot wasn't really explicated that well. It's like, well, yeah, but they made it ninety minutes long. <laughs> 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 but you forget they cut they cut that footage if the, if it existed. They were committed to to making this movie a proper length. <laughs>
1: I'm definitely not saying that that movie needed ten minutes uh, like more explaining how escrow works, <laughs> or you know the ins and outs of like collective real estate bargaining. Mm-hmm. I'm mostly just saying. Like within the real world, it didn't make a damn bit of sense. And I mean, this is admittedly a world where you can show up with a giant novelty check and press <laughs> it into the hands of the guy who's auctioning your house, which just automatically happens with your house still full of all your stuff. <laughs> Whatever. No, you're, I mean, you're right. It didn't need the extra stuff. I think they could have still gotten out with 90 minutes with like half of the conversation about the neighborhood and the lawsuit. Uh, converted to making the plot make sense. But it definitely didn't need to be longer. This definitely didn't need to be be shorter. And when you were talking about, oh, my God, Tasha really did her research. Yeah, I did my research. It took three hours to watch both movies (laughs) because they're both a tight 90 minutes.
0: Did either of you ever see any episodes of Baywatch, the television show? Nope.
1: So that's just it. Like There are things in this movie that I find like a little baffling and a where did they come from thing. Like that reference character suddenly turning up in drag for no reason and uh, I automatically like get my back up just a little bit because it's like is this like a
2: transvestite joke like yeah. is this just Cause like... he's not in drag he's in a dress and bad makeup like I mean he's not like oh. well okay he's yeah. not well
1: I mean he's got a pretty nice little wig like sure. he, he does he's... seem like he's it's... trying to pass well,
2: maybe I don't know either way it's, it's a terrible lazy semi-offensive joke
1: <laughs> but is it a terrible lazy semi-offensive joke that is drawing for something specific in the series and that's why it's there is my question I have no idea well i mean
0: there are a lot of episodes of baywatch out there oh my gosh (laughs) Yeah, like 320 some episodes two or three made for tv movies
1: it ran for a solid 10 years It,
0: it did i mean it's a fascinating story i mean that it existed first as a network show and and kind of flopped and then it was revived and, and found its uh, real success internationally in in syndication. And it makes sense that it ha- it has that Brady Bunch quality, where I think I think people recognize that it was not you know a good show, but it certainly had certain period appeal, and it was just. One of those watchable shows, you know. I did. I we kind of missed me a little bit. It was ran ran through most of the '90s, and by by that time, I was in, in college and really had no interest in the action in Baywatch. But uh, of what I had seen of Baywatch, I wish that the film had done more to evoke that quality. It'd even do what the Brady Bunch movie did, which was just maybe slow things down a little bit. Film sequences like like the television show play out how again tacky everything is um that would have helped you know i hate to say tell filmmakers how they're supposed to make movies but uh, i just think this But this, well, we can tell uh, them how not to make movies yeah, and think, this, is, <laughs> this this, this is how do, you know don't what make you just movies did, don't do that <laughs> that was not a good idea <laughs> that was not a good idea but I, I think connecting it to the show and just finding that tone that was set in the in the title sequence, which is so much fun. I mean, just play up how ludicrous everything is, but also kind of fun and cheesy, and just it was it was really good. That you know, and it just loses after that, and it worries me because these screenwriters, incidentally, this is a, a not so fun fact, is that they have been assigned to write the uh, remake of Starship Troopers. Ooh. Mm which needs i mean i just i think that's a, such a bad idea to do that anyway but but you really need to have conceptual rigor to make that work and uh this is not this is not an evidence in baywatch that's mm. for
1: sure. you know who does seem to be having fun here besides dwayne johnson and zach Efron, who really do kind of project that they're enjoying you know these big meaty ridiculous roles their big, meaty, ridiculous bodies, mm-hmm. uh, is Priyanka Chopra mm-hmm. is the villain. I want to talk about her. Like, mm-hmm. she... Her her material is pretty thin. Her material is pretty much, wah-ha-ha, ha, I am evil. But, but she, I'm a woman. But I'm a so, woman, too. Yeah. And I'm also sexy. But she gets that weird little monologue up front where she establishes, like what it was like back in the home country and how her brother was handed everything for being a man and how unfair it is. And so she, you know, she came here and she's going to get what she deserves through brilliance. And I was like, that's actually a lot of story beat for a character who's probably just going to spend the rest of the movie like uh, gloating and, a pa- and like impatiently ordering for things to be done. Like I,
2: I kind of liked that characterization. I did too. I didn't like where it came in the movie because it came like in our first scene with her like it yeah the the editing in this movie like how it was put together there's some really weird beats like i kind of mentioned hannibal burris's character being unceremoniously killed off like that was one and like that initial scene between priyanka chopra and oscar nunez who plays a councilman Mm -hmm. like it like just dumps you into this plot and also gives you all this character background without like establishing the connection to the main action it, it was like a completely separate thing and like it, yeah it eventually came together it was just like a very it was a weird way to introduce that character and that storyline and just kind of i think speaks to the general sloppiness and, of, t-
0: and, and, and if there's any kind of mystery or twist that they're trying to pull they just yeah don't, don't bother yeah. You, you know you know who who's involved and what they're doing Almost instantly. Come but, on. You can do well, better. this
1: isn't a mystery. I mean this isn't no, a, but I mean, it's, an but action it's supposed film. to have
0: but but I think it, it does it is supposed to have some some twists to it.
1: I mean I it feels like it feels like they're going in a Mission Impossible direction, where it's it's pretty much just, here's the bad guy, here's the good guys, here are yourself. the barriers, yeah. like, charge blindly forward. Yeah. I like I don't see a lot of, but who's the real villain kind of stuff going on here.
2: I mean, I think there was a little bit of the, like, a supposed reveal with Rob Hubel's mm-hmm. character being, like, behind. He was in on it the whole time, but like I said, that's telegraphed hugely from, <laughs> from the first scene. He
0: gives, like, one of those, like, looks, like, double takes or yeah. something, uh, when it's like, oh, okay, this guy's giving a look. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But but to go back to your point, Tasha, I do agree that, like, Priyanka Chopra, her performance is, like, on the right tonal level for this movie, and I think she is a lot of fun, her character... Isn't that much fun? But like her performances, and she's also
1: just really necessary because pretty much all of the other women in this film are <laughs> scene dressing, you know. And, mm-hmm. and it's it's particularly weird in uh, the case of Summer, mm-hmm. the character who gets the buildup of somebody who's going to be somebody, and then is basically
2: there to be awarded to Zach Efron's character for turning into a less jerky kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Well, as I understand it, all those characters are from Baywatch and Matt Brody. Zach Efron's character was from seasons three through five and recurring season six and he had a long-term relationship with Summer Quinn in the fourth season and pursued a similar relationship with CJ Parker in the fifth and sixth seasons. <laughs> um, what a dog. He was forced to resign because of a phony sexual harassment lawsuit filed by a series bad girl Neely Capshaw but was reinstated after the lawsuit proved to be false. So there's a little background on Matt Brody's character <laughs> but like they are acknowledging the romantic partnerships of from the original show but I don't know. Do you need to do that? It, it, particularly because it seems like Matt Brody got with everyone on the show, so you yeah.
0: Know. <laughs> oh, and speaking of this, the mythology of the show, the, the the Wikipedia page for Mitch Buchanan, that's like longer than Lincoln. Or something like that. And that like that thing is, the thing is huge.
1: Three hundred. I, I mean, Lincoln didn't run to three hundred like, episodes. You've
0: got, you got. I mean, there's literally like you have to scroll two different <laughs> like through two pages just on Baywatch nights. <laughs> it's just it's insane uh so there's a lot if you really if you need to know about Mitch Buchanan there's a lot of information out there for you uh that has been meticulously updated by wikipedia editors and meanwhile John Bass third rate Josh Gad second rate Dan Fogler Fogler, doesn't even get his own page
1: well, you know he hasn't. This big he hasn't been yeah. a character on a show for uh, ten years.
0: He hasn't been a character in a movie since you know Revenge of the Nerds in the eighties or something. <laughs> this, this character is so familiar from that period of just of having the, this uh, kind of dork who gets the girl.
1: I don't know. I mean, to me, he feels like a Jonah Hill character.
0: Mm, Boy, sub, sub, sub.
1: (laughs) I mean, Jonah Hill has a bunch of other things going on, especially now. And, you know, he's had a much more interesting career, like, in dramas and as a writer and as a producer and as a creative partner. Like, he's got more going on than I'm the schlub that gets the girl. Mm. But in terms of this performance, like, this is like an early Jonah Hill role, yeah. Like I'm gonna stand around and, and be mopey and get my junk caught in a chair in a sequence that goes <laughs> on for like how
0: long is that
1: twenty seven minutes? Yeah, it was
0: like that, that must have the- been so, uh, they must have been thinking that they could do a Fairly Brothers thing with that and just like the longer we make this, the funnier it's going to be the rake effect. Because it's a similar thing of, of there's something about Mary. There's, uh, there's some scrotal business happening in that film. Oh. <laughs>
1: that scrotal business. business is very graphic and very brief, though. That's yeah,
0: like, true. But the set piece goes for a long, on for a long time, and it's super embarrassing. And I guess this is shooting for that same... Thing and I just I don't.
2: But know. it's it's not even the most prominent. Draw, pr, yeah, the most prom, Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> it's not the the biggest scrotal uh <laughs> sequence in the movie, which is the morgue sequence. Which what was that? I, I what? laughed. I laughed at the uh, morgue sequence. Uh, you, so you, so you like seeing zach Efron I, juggling balls. I mean
1: any opportunity I can get to see Zach Efron jugging testicles. I mean if he's just if you're just juggling balls, like that could be anything. I laughed at this sequence I think wow. because I'm so
2: surprised. <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm, it's...
0: This reminds me of, of Siskel's reaction to to Erit's review of Cop and a Half or the <laughs> review and he was like he, he said it's like Santa giving him, him, him a gift, wrapping it up, giving giving a gift. Um, but uh,
2: right, well, why saying, did you like it? Tasha? No, no, I'm just
1: saying like the 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 use of the word taint to me is is usually uh like I'm out the door, like yeah. I'm done. It, it's just it's it's a stupid word for a part of the body that already has a word, and so hmm. we like slapped a it's like a
0: specific area, Tasha. Give, like, give, it,
1: give it its. Uh, it's already got a name. It's the perineum, right? Yes, it's the perineum. <laughs> like. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> my point is that I I just think it's a really stupid word. It's a really stupid term, and that this movie loves it so much. So I also find it difficult to explain why I laughed. I think it was because it was so unashamed and so shocking. Like we we're we're having this conversation a lot at work at the Verge right now because of American Gods. Like it's very rare to see penises on screen, and to see a penis on screen for such a extended period of time so unashamedly and have so have a man handling it and have it not the source of the humor is not homophobia. The source of the humor is like, this is really gross. You know, this is a corpse and I'm, combing my fingers through his pubic hair and somebody's taking a picture of me like for me there was a shock value in that that made me react in the way that shock value is supposed to make you react humorously like i i laughed at it while being sort of vaguely ashamed of myself (laughs) but like acknowledging that they were pushing it like way 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 over the edge
0: are you saying that though it's funny with taint it's a uh, compared to, compared to what, what's the other what's the term
1: perineum oh, no I, I mean i certainly we can't do like
0: a health class <laughs> like the next picture show health class where i learn this stuff
1: well apparently you need it we'll we'll bring diagrams next time i mean i really,
0: I, I, do, I do i'm just
1: letting you know scott the internet is a thing that exists
2: all right i don't uh, know if you want to google that though <laughs>
1: All right, I'm completely out of perineum jokes. I I have no good perineum-related transitions. So I'm just going to wrap this up uh, and say that we'll be back after this break to talk. What's the transitional zone of of the body? Wow, Scott. Wow. You did it, Scott. You segued the heck out of it. Thank you. So, we are going to transition out of this segment like unto the perineum. <laughs> we are going to move from the, the area that we were in to a different, darker area <laughs> to talk more about the connections between the Brady Bunch movie and Baywatch and how they each navigate comedy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hey, Dreamy, get over here. I need you to help me. Oh, dude. I need you to check his taint for needle marks. You want me to check his taint? Don't be a baby. Lift his scrotum. I'm not
2: touching the man's scrotum.
0: Lift his ball sack and check for anything unusual. There's not. Fuck. Mm. Oh, my God. Mm. Oh. Dude,
2: it's a taint, man. It's a taint. You didn't even look. Oh, my God. Dude, there's been gloves here literally the entire time. You didn't even say anything. Yeah. Duh. Oh, I'm going
0: in. All right. Tell me what you see. Hair. Lots of hair. Definitely not like groomer. Get deeper. Lift the balls up higher. And get closer. Oh, God, it stings. I know, man. There's a big something. There's something. Oh, there is a hole.
2: That's just his butthole. Smile. <laughs> Good job, Doc. <laughs> Posted that. Do not post that. Vegan Radish forever.
1: All right. We've almost stopped giggling about taints, and it's time for connections when we bring two films together and talk about all of the things they have in common. We've really avoided talking about the cameos, Mm -hmm. and uh, the the cameos are a really important part of the Brady Bunch movie that we very deliberately skipped over. It does seem like part of the formula with this style of comic movie is you have to have people from the old thing— to kind of cast their blessing over the new thing and there were actually a whole bunch of uh, cameos shot for the Brady Bunch movie that were cut for time
0: Uh, they were all talking about the real estate (laughs) they
1: (laughs) They just had them on to explain at great length what the real estate deal was (laughs) no I looked it up Uh, the original thing I found says scenes featuring the original Bobby Mike Land, the original Cindy Susan Olson and the original Marsha Maureen McCormick as a cop reporter and a lemonade lady were all filmed but they were all cut I am really surprised that like unless those scenes were were bad in some way or maybe I mean maybe maybe Betty Thomas is just like uh, ruthless yeah but I mean it would seem like like that is minutes. your currency you know, with a film oh, like you know this. what it might
0: be. Maybe Betty Thomas is like David Letterman, and like people are cut from Survivor. Do you remember that bit that he had uh, where people who had been cut from Survivor, you know, they got to be on the show, but he was so he had so much contempt for the whole thing that he wouldn't let them sit, sit down on the couch next to him, and so they were all off in the background. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. Uh, so maybe it was that sort of thing. Maybe it was this obligatory thing that she didn't want to do, and so so she cut cut all but a few.
2: I know That's funny, Scott, but I don't think that's the case because I think I think the Brady Bunch is like very happy to have its its cameos like i think it it draws attention to them and it like it's part of the fabric of the movie it draws
1: attention to them but one thing it doesn't it again it doesn't break the fourth wall which mm-hmm. is interesting because by comparison with baywatch like baywatch practically puts Hasselhoff and Anderson on pedestals and says, mm-hmm. here they are, we Well, it we puts got him in them in the
2: credits. It puts them in the opening credits, yeah. which is like really stupid, especially because Pamela Anderson is in literally the last scene of the movie. Mm-hmm. So like you're in the whole time, like, okay, you know, she's going to show up. When's she going to show up? Why hasn't yeah. she shown up yet? Yeah, you know, like, and then they make such a big deal out of it and she doesn't speak, does she? I think no, she, she doesn't
1: just say she no. walks
2: on and sits down and it's
1: pretty much like... Yup, they contracted me to be here. They, yeah. make
0: a, they make a joke about it being like in more slower mode.
1: She walks in slower motion than the CJ of the movie. Well, you know our CJ's today, just things move so fast. <laughs> but uh, I think the
2: the MVP for cameos in Brady Bunch movie is RuPaul. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, that was like kind of right in the middle of RuPaul's ascension to sort of mainstream awareness. Like, I think like actually RuPaul was probably the most recognizable cameo, maybe like Davy Jones for a certain era of person. But for me, RuPaul is like the biggest cameo in this I
1: I do really enjoy the underlining of the Davy Jones cameo just with uh, nobody at the dance knows who he is or cares, but all of the female teachers are flipping right the heck out. Like, Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed that mechanic. Yeah. But the whole business with uh, Hasselhoff showing up in Baywatch, I like for me it it felt flat because they hit it too hard. Mm-hmm. They were just way too proud of themselves for having him there and for setting him up the way they did. And I mean, he he's cameoed in a lot of movies. Like, yeah, he he it's not does that hard that. to get Hasselhoff in your movie. <laughs> well, I'm not saying that you know they shouldn't be proud of it or whatever. I'm saying he's done this particular like cheesy "Hi, I'm David Hasselhoff" appearing in your movie kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Many many times so like why not have fun with it why not give him a character that isn't hi i'm david hasselhoff appearing in your movie
2: well and there's like a during those credits blooper whatever you want to call them they weren't all bloopers i I really did hate them like the the last one the one it's all building to is like a conversation between dwayne johnson and david hasselhoff over like so am i going to be in the sequel or something but it was like It was like them talking about how the logic of the movie didn't really make sense for him to be there. I mean, I liked that
1: moment mostly for Hasselhoff, like looking off screen and saying, "All right, do I look tiny next to him?" Just like that—that little moment of of non ego with an actor, or that like that little moment of kind of like macho fronting of you know, I I, (laughs) compliment me and tell me that this is okay because I'm feeling Mm -hmm. a little insecure. I don't know. I thought it was an interesting moment.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you really want to be that muscular to swim? You well
1: i mean muscle? it's it's better than being that schlubby and trying think, to keep no, up I just, with I all I just these think, i just think the rock would sink he's the rock now <laughs> he can do anything but float <laughs> <laughs> you're right
0: oh wow good callback
1: i uh, just rewatched that song the other day because delightful I, dwayne johnson it, that like just seeing him on screen he he is a hoot
0: i like when I like when the, the, the oscars is like we're not gonna have any fun and like nobody, they didn't submit that song that everyone loves yeah. that The Rock could have sung at the ceremony, and everyone would have had a great time. We were was talking even, about Your welcome
2: from Moana for yeah, anyone who are. is not clear um, on
0: that. But we're we're straying. Go ahead, yes. Tasha. Uh,
1: mostly, just the point I wanted to make about like the cameo connection is. It feels like you don't have to have them, and I'm also looking to 21 Jump Street here, although for anybody who hasn't seen that movie, I'm not going to spoil the moment, but it it seems like it is required that you have somebody come in to symbolically pass the torch, mm-hmm. basically, to acknowledge, maybe it's just a little bit of, like, you didn't rip us off, I'm here, I got paid, it's all okay, or maybe it's just wink, wink, elbow, elbow. There's an in joke here,
0: but- yeah, and also, and also, like it, the other thing it's saying is, I'm cool with this, you know, because <laughs> because I'm cool with being made fun of because of it, these these movies do parody aspects of the of the show, and so if you're in on the joke, that's a you know a certain level of blessing there
1: yeah and that kind of moving on to a different connection that it becomes an inside joke and both of these films are pretty heavy in the inside jokes i think you know in neither case are most of us the the ideal audience like we don't have the brady bunch memorized we did not watch 300 episodes of baywatch
0: i watched a lot of brady bunch
1: that's why I said most of us. <laughs> okay,
0: that's true. Two out of three.
1: But the point is that if you are a fan, you're getting all of these little things, I think, in both cases that you wouldn't get otherwise. And those things are, as I said in the first episode, not required to understand the movie, but they're, they're a payoff. I mean, much like what the Marvel movies are constantly doing with, you know, if you're a comic super fan, you're going to know that that fuzzy brownish thing thing that's blurry in the background in that scene is Adam Warlock's cocoon and you're going to go just
2: ape poop. (laughs) (laughs) I I like that after we've really gone in depth on taints and perineums we were still going with poop. You know, there are places you shouldn't stray. Um... (laughs)
1: Mostly I just, uh, like, there's a lot of fan service in both of these movies, like, if you're looking
2: for it. I guess I'll take your word on that on Baywatch. Although I guess I shouldn't, because you're not a, a fan either, but I, like, I'm hard-pressed to think of what those moments are in well, Baywatch. Well, all the stuff that you were reading
1: about, like, this is a, not only is an established character, but he's, like, following his character arc right, from the
2: Right, right, but the I show. didn't get any of that from the movie. I got that from looking on Wikipedia just now, you oh, know, sure. like, the thing that the Brady Bunch does is, even if it's doing it inside joke, it's doing it so heightened that you're aware that it's a joke even if you don't quite get it and it's still like funny on its own if there were like fan service things in baywatch i didn't get them
0: yeah that, that to me is just such a big difference between these two movies is when you're addressing the original material or the original characters just turning up the volume a little bit you know uh, making it a little absurd you know i mean a lot of the things that happen in the brady bunch like you know mike brady giving imparting lessons and Marsha being as vain as she, like all, you know, Jan, Jan uh, having this, all this jealousy. So like it's all there in the original show just turned up a little bit. And, uh, and I think that, you know, what Baywatch gets right is that opening credit sequence which parodies, you know, the Lassie-like <laughs> instincts of the mm-hmm. Mitch Buchanan character. And I think if it, it had been a little more directed that way where you um, just play it up a little bit and keep it constantly related to the show, I think that's going to work a lot. That just would have worked a lot better.
2: Quickly, to give Baywatch its due, there there was one gag in this vein that I do think worked, which was CJ being the only one who runs in slow motion because the running in slow motion is such a quintessential Baywatch thing. And like, even not having watched Baywatch, we all know they sure. run in slow motion. Yeah. But turning that into CJ is the only one in this whole movie. And then the Pamela Anderson's not CJ character as, as well. Like, they're the only ones who move in slow motion. Like, that's a funny way to tweak that so it's they're not just saying like hey we're referencing the show like there's a joke within that reference yeah,
0: that's True. good job Baywatch.
2: <laughs> you got two things right uh, three if you like taint jokes which is uh, like we having
1: having spent way more time pawing through that taint than i thought we were going to
2: oh my god
1: <laughs> what it's right there on screen uh we don't need to get too much into this connection, but I, I did notice that uh, both of these movies have uh, have some crotch humor going on, and it's just it's really interesting to see how crotch humor has changed in ten years. <laughs> because in Brady Bunch movie, it's ah, oh, somebody got got a nut shot and is curled up in pain, la-la-la, mm-hmm. like that's hilarious. What, and that's... What
0: remind me what what happens there?
1: I, I uh, well, there's the thing at the end where the bully's coming after Peter just before his voice changes, and uh, he steps on a kick pedal, I think, and oh. Uh, oh, yeah. takes a hit in the crotch. Although I could swear that there's also a crotch hit joke with Michael McKean as well, uh, like there was a moment where I was like, "Oh wow, there there really is a lot of like just very '90s." Uh, maybe maybe you're thinking of hurt. the treadmill
2: joke. <laughs> Your tooth will slip in the tooth, and then his tooth slip in the tooth, and he goes <laughs> through the wall. <laughs> that is
1: really really broad.
2: <laughs> as long as we're talking Brady bunch of crotch humor, uh, Greg's pants with Gene Smart uh, being impressed with Greg's package. You know, there's some there's some objectification of male genitalia happening there as well. Some admiration for the pants those Brady boys wear. But.
1: <laughs> they do wear very form fitting pants. Yeah. I mean, the 70s wardrobe in that film is just it's really on. And it's in
2: high contrast to the 90s pants for men, which were baggy. Very baggy. Very very baggy.
0: Harder to get into than a Pearl Jam concert, right? That was a a solid 90s joke.
1: That's pretty easy to get into those baggy pants. There's plenty of room.
2: (laughs) No, they were talking about (laughs) Marsha. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying.
1: By contrast, her pants are harder to get into Uh, because they're 70s pants, except when does she wear pants? She's mostly wearing uh, super short skirts. Yeah. Which is weird because the Brady's are so unsexualized in so many ways. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as you see all of those guys like mooning over, it's like, yeah, she's actually she's showing a lot of skin. Yeah, for sure. I mean, not nearly as much skin as it is on display in Baywatch. Like, that movie is a skinapalooza.
0: You can't do a Baywatch film without it, really. It's, yeah. Uh, you know, that's the show, and that's the... I mean, there's no other reason the show survived for as long as it did, I don't think. Maybe people are reading it for the articles or something. <laughs>
1: So one of the other things I had for Connections is just the fact that both of these films uh, cast a couple of really well-known leads. And then, as far as I know, pretty much everybody else is unknowns. Like, I was unfamiliar with most of the actors. Well, Priyanka Chopra
2: is on Quantico, which is a a hit Mm -hmm. show. So, I mean, she's a known quantity to a certain segment of the population. I don't watch Quantico. I mean, Oscar Nunez has been in his share of films and Hannibal
1: and Robert, like people that you're potentially familiar with if you follow the comedy scene, but they're also not, they're not story central the way like all of the women are like, they're, they're a story adjacent. They're constantly on screen. They're constantly being referenced. They just don't really have much to do. My point was mostly just, it It seemed like they were kind of reaching for fewer recognizable faces because these people are meant to be representing people that you've known in the past.
2: Yeah, for sure. And I, I mean, again, I think it works better in Brady Bunch, which it just feels redundant to say at this time. But I think like in Brady Bunch, because Betty Thomas comes out of Second City and like the comedy scene, like, I mean, not saying that like the director is responsible for all the casting, but but i think she probably brought up maybe a little more like comedic savvy in terms of really knowing what an up-and-coming comedic talent looks like and is capable of doing whereas alexandra daddario who plays summer quinn like she has a really long resume she's done a ton yeah. of
0: tv work another she was in the, that other rock movie right where she, wasn't she his daughter in something san andreas was that
2: oh my god oh, yeah you're right Jesus yeah san andreas but yeah i mean like she's done a bunch of stuff and a a lot of it is like tv comedies you know like she's been on it's always sunny and
1: and apparently 43 episodes of all my children yeah
2: i know so like they're not unknowns exactly but it, it doesn't feel like they were they were casting an ensemble it feels like they were casting parts whereas the brady bunch feels very much Like it was a casted ensemble, you know, and like the movie bears that out. Like all of the kids get their own storylines and some are given a little more attention than others. I mean, Cindy and Bobby, you know, who cares, but here summer and Oh God, Stephanie, (laughs) who is like just an absolute nothing character given nothing to do. And it's, it's like one of the biggest names as I understand it of the original series, you know, but like so much of the focus here is on Mitch and Matt and like the two stars, Whereas Brady Bunch does not do that. yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, that was a really weird beat where Mitch got fired and he was like, well, you know, Stephanie should be the one replacing me. And it's like, who? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, a uh, woman that's been standing behind him this whole movie. What's her face? Yeah. She apparently has a name and an extensive resume as a lifesaver, which is really important in this moment and hasn't been up until now.
0: Maybe she was off saving people while while he was trying <laughs> talking to uh while the trying men were the working out their issues
1: fair enough. So, I guess briefly, straight-faced, we don't know we're in a comedy acting, I think is big in both of these movies. Like again, they both kind of acknowledge the fourth wall, but these performances for the most part are not look at me, I'm hilarious. I'm I know that I'm in a comedy. Like the jokes land to the degree that they land at all in Baywatch, but like in both cases, I think the when the jokes land, it's because they're being played straight.
2: Well, and there's also, I mean, I it's worth noting that we're dealing with television series from two very different genres. Baywatch wasn't really a comedy. Like, I mean, it could, it was certainly kitschy, you know, and I think like could certainly be watched ironically and, and laughed at, but it wasn't like, it it didn't have, like what I was talking about in the first half, just like kind of the feather lightness of Brady Bunch that I think translates to the sort of comedy that the movie pulls off so well. Like, Baywatch is just like weighed down by, I don't want to say self seriousness because I don't think Baywatch, the TV series, necessarily took itself seriously, but it was setting out from the starting point of drama, you know, and from action. And just like coming from that starting point, I think it's a little harder to like mock it straight facedly without just appearing to mirror it. There's certainly a universe in which I could see the Baywatch TV series making for a really good comedy. But I think this movie just didn't go for broke to the extent it needed to go for broke and didn't go for broke to the extent that the Brady Bunch ever broke. Hmm. Well, if you
1: want to be broke, you can go find (laughs) the Brady Bunch movie on DVD. Uh, But you can also find it as part of some very Brady packages. The people selling the Brady Bunch movie really want you to buy the movie, the sequel, and like every other Brady Bunch related movie that there ever was. If you don't want to go broke, it's uh, currently streaming free with a Hulu membership or an Amazon Prime membership. So if you already have either of those services, you can just sit down and watch it right now take three hours you can watch both of them back to back Mm -hmm. Uh, Baywatch is in theaters right now for what that's worth and we'll be right back with our usual recommendation segment your next picture show Finally, it's time to catch each other up on films or film-related items we've seen in the interim since our last podcast. We call it Your Next Picture Show in the hopes that it'll put some interesting choices on your radar. Genevieve,
2: you want to kick us off? Sure. Inspired by a recent movie that came through theaters that I was hoping would be good and sadly was not, that movie being Snatched starring Amy Schumer and Goldie Hawn. Um, I was inspired to watch a different Goldie Hawn movie because one of the main criticisms I saw of it was that it wasted Goldie Hawn. So I was like, I want to see some classic Goldie Hawn (laughs) movies. So I watched Private Benjamin, which is a great little movie. And I was like, I, I had just the vaguest, vaguest recollection of like parts of it. And I don't know if I ever actually sat down to watch it. And I wanted to bring it up here just in the context of talking about comedic performances and like what. I think, a good comedic performance can be. And I think Goldie Hawn in this movie is a really good example of what a good comedic performance can be because she does slapstick, she does physical comedy, but she has a character there. There is a character in this movie that has an arc and has emotions and you you know who she is from the beginning. And she's not just a series of jokes and ticks and goofy faces. It's really fun to just kind of watch her character develop throughout the movie while still maintaining the same kind of comedic energy. And I think a lot of that is just the ephemeral quality that Goldie Hawn has. And I think that a lot of people were hoping to see in Snatched that did not materialize. So if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. It's from 1980, directed by Howard Zeif, we'll say. Nancy Myers co-wrote it. So that kind of give you an idea of what you're in for. But um, yeah, if you've never seen it, check it out. And if you haven't seen it in a really long time or don't have the best recollection of it, I'd say... Rectify that check it out
1: that's really cool i i remember that movie coming out and i remember thinking that would be a really fun thing to watch and all of these many years later i
2: still have it I wow. so oh, i really
0: i've seen i've seen so many of the other goldie hawn movies too and that, oh and, she's and that, and private benjamin is kind of the go-to film
2: yeah like... and like mary kate place is really good in it your boy albert brooks is in it for very very briefly <laughs> in, in, in the beginning I like Hello. Hello. Yeah. Hello,
1: your boy? <laughs> <laughs> i just i it took me the longest time it took the longest time for Goldie Hawn to grow on me Mm -hmm. because growing up I I had this impression of her as kind of a sub Meg Ryan kind Mm -hmm. of a like she's a rom-com girl uh, who always plays like stupid blondes and maybe she is a stupid blonde and it, it took me a really long time to start seeing her in movies and realizing how much she had going on as a character yeah. actress. Yeah, I mean, she's a stupid blonde in this movie. Yeah. For, uh,
0: no doubt about she's it. She's way but... more willing to, she's got a way more do-anything-for-a-laugh type of mm-hmm. personality than Meg Ryan.
2: Yeah, the physical comedy in this is, uh, there, there's not a whole lot of it, but I mean, she has a couple moments where she is like Jim Carrey level, just like loose limbs throwing yourself around physical comedy and it's like wow Goldie hawn who knew so <laughs> private benjamin <laughs> that's my recommendation very cool is it uh easily it available is, it is uh rentable on your on your various digital services not streaming uh anywhere that i could find but not hard to track down for three or four bucks very so, cool and worth it Sasha, what about you?
1: You know, I usually come in here with like 10 things, but this is a this is already a long podcast. I'm going to keep it super brief. Uh, I ran across this video um, called Logan, Superhero Movies Get Old. It's just an essay that somebody recommended to me on YouTube, and it is specifically about the theory around how genre changes over time, how when you have a popular genre – it, it persists for a while in the way that Westerns did, for instance, and then it slowly starts to mutate. And it gets into some of the scholarly theory around directions that uh, a genre goes in, how it splits off and, and develops, how it plays out in uh, different kinds of stories. And it gives you a bunch of examples, and then it gets into Logan in specific, and kind of shows how it's doing different things with genre that uh, it, basically showing how superhero movies are kind of getting to the end of this arc where they're a very established thing and now we've seen enough of them that the genre can start mutating into directions like burlesque and self-questioning and, you know, undermining uh, some of the tropes. It's really intelligent about some of the ways that Logan embodies these ideas, but it also just gives you a really interesting kind of overview portrait of, like, other genres and how individual films fit the bill. It's less than 10 minutes long, and it's like a little film class in explaining, explaining genre within these specific examples, but also just in a way that gives you some tools for unpacking things that I think is going to be useful to me as a film critic. So it's called Logan Superhero Movies Get Old. Uh, it's by somebody who's on YouTube as Nerdwriter1. And Nerdwriter1 has a whole channel that's understanding art, case studies and understanding art. And there's like just looking over it, there's things like what the Truman Show teaches us about politics and how brothers communicate as seen in the Dark Jailing Limited, and just a bunch of things that I'm actually pretty eager to dig into. I would recommend starting with Logan, Superhero Movies Get Old, and just learning a little bit about possibly where superhero movies as a genre are going right now and over the next few years. I love a good video essay. And it is, in fact, a pretty good video essay. Scott, what do you have for us?
0: Uh, Well, one of the things I do as a freelancer is write uh, recommended movies that are streaming uh, these lists uh, for the New York Times watching site. I do it. That's true. Um, uh, <laughs> I get recently, those emails. They're good. Recently, I did a list of documentaries about political activism that are currently streaming on Netflix. There's a lot of really good titles on there. There's The Square, which is about Arab Spring and its aftermath in Egypt. Um, there's How to Survive a Plague, which is a, uh, about the effective and multi-pronged efforts of ACT UP to fight fight uh, the AIDS crisis. And, uh, and there's the new uh, documentary, Get Me Roger Stone, uh, about the roguish... Dirty Trickster, who has been operating on the fringes since Nixon. Uh, But the one that really stood out for me was a movie called The Black Power Mixtape, uh, 1967 to 1975, which just now, occurs to me, overlaps almost entirely with The Brady Brunch (laughs) TV show. So we were talking about the contrast between what was going on in the real world and what was going on in the Brady Brunch universe. This is a pretty stark contrast. In any any case, uh, The Black Power Mixtape is constructed from footage shot by Swedish journalists in the turbulent years between 1967 and 1975. And they wanted to show, basically, they wanted to show the country as it really is. That was their goal. Uh, and what they ended up doing is focusing on uh, radical black activism, uh, from Stokely Carmichael to Angela Davis to Louis Farrakhan. Uh, and a lot of the footage they, they got here is really great. You know, you get an intimate look, especially at Carmichael, that stands in interesting contrast to his persona, which is w- much more provocative But the doc is also creatively constructed as a kind of artful montage. It's got music by Questlove and Omas Keith. It's got poetry readings. And it makes these sort of thoughtful connections between past and present. It's a really good montage movie. Um, creatively done, and, and some of so this footage is amazing. So uh, I, I was impressed. You can certainly take old footage and make something boring out of it, but this is a really dynamic documentary, I thought.
2: Yeah, I, li- I like it a lot, too. It's been a couple years since I've seen it, but, uh, yeah, I really like the, I guess you'd say, the mixtape quality, just mm-hmm. kind of the, the making connections through different media throughout the film. Is it still streaming on Netflix? It is. Okay, I think yeah. All these
0: things are. And, you know, there's some, there are a lot of really good ones on that list, so if you want to look on, look to the New York times watching site um, which is a good place to go if you want to see what is on streaming that you might want to check out there's a list and i I can recommend most of the films almost every film on that list i I really like quite a bit so
2: um, now i want to know which one you don't like (laughs) no this one is
0: okay
1: (laughs) and i want to know what the title of that is again because we always need to say it again at the bottom
0: it's called the Black Power Mixtape, nineteen sixty-seven through nineteen seventy-five.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, I've never seen that one, but one of the other ones on your list, The Square, uh, I reviewed back in the day, and I enjoyed that a fair bit. That's oh, yeah. that's a really uh, like at the time it was an extremely up to the moment doc. And oh, yeah. I'm sure it's dated a little bit now, but there's still, there's so much in there that just feels like, it feels like watching the news right now.
0: And you should watch, like, if you want, one of the other ones I recommended is called Winter on Fire. It's about uh, the Ukraine. And it was, it was, it's so similar. <laughs> the two films are so, are parallel so nicely because it's, it's about, you know, a youth movement that, that ousted a president. And then, but they had to deal with a lot of aggressive to say the least <laughs> uh, um, behavior by the authorities and you know, and really just a, a struggle on the part of the, the young to create a much different country than they've been uh, living in so, wow, uh, good films
1: yeah, that's that's quite the watch list though that's going <laughs> to yeah,
0: keep you, yeah, it is. Keep it you is. busy for it's a, a lot, but if I if I'd go to the list and look at the films and see if a subject interests you and then I would do it that way
1: very cool, thank mm-hmm. you guys Well, that's it for this week's edition of The Next Picture Show. Our next episodes come out June 13th and 15th. Scott, what do we have lined up?
0: Well, with Wonder Woman currently lassoing up some money in theaters everywhere. (laughs) Sorry, I know. (laughs) Uh, we considered a number of options for an Next Picture Show pairing. Uh, we could have gone the conservative route and chosen the original 1978 Superman, another DC movie about a non-human superhero who develops an appreciation for our flawed, stupid, but redeemable selves. Uh, we could have gone uh, the off-the-wall route and chosen Splash, a fish-out-of-water comedy, also <laughs> about a non-human adjusting to the messiness of the real world. But instead, we've decided to pair Wonder Woman with Stanley Kubrick's 1957 anti-war masterpiece, Paths of Glory. Uh, for one, we've been dying to do a Kubrick film, and it seems like a nice gear shift after this week's <laughs> pairing. Uh, but there are strong connections between these two very different films. I mean, both are set in World War I, uh, both critique the cowardice of leaders who send their troops out to the slaughter, and both are about how war diminishes our humanity without entirely extinguishing it. Paths of Glory is on Criterion and various pay streaming services. And if you happen to have Tribeca Shortlist, <laughs> you have that have that subscription, you can watch it there for free. So, uh, no matter how you see Puzzle Glory, you got to see Puzzle Glory. It's a, it's a classic.
1: Well, I'm looking forward to that one. <laughs> I mean, any Kubrick, but uh, paths of glory is a really great film. Mm. In the meantime, uh, we would love to hear your feedback on this week's discussion of the Brady bunch movie in Baywatch and anything else film related you want to talk about. We'd like to include your thoughts on future episodes of the show. You can leave a short voicemail at seven, seven, three, two, three, four, nine, seven, three, zero, or email us at comments at next Dot net. Finally, where can we find everyone these days? Scott?
0: Uh, well, uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Scott underscore tobias you can find uh, my piece about about baywatch and <laughs> self-aware comedy at washington post where i've been writing quite a bit lately uh you can also find me in new york times uh, npr vulture variety uprocks uh guardian um and i'm also the editor-in-chief of oscilloscope's musings blog uh what about you genevieve
2: i am on twitter at genevieve kosky and i am the deputy culture editor at vox.com at the culture section there and that's it Dasha.
1: <laughs> you can find me writing about film and tv at the can find me writing about books at npr books you can find me talking about indiana jones recently on the indiana jones minute mm-hmm. podcast and i just recorded some uh episodes of aliens podcast so
2: that's going to be coming up in uh in about a month or so i'm set to record a few sometime soon
1: uh i think you'll enjoy it mostly
2: Mostly. Mostly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And you can find me on Twitter at Tosh Robinson. You can stay updated on The Next Picture Show by visiting nextpictureshow.net via Twitter at at Next Picture Pod and via Facebook at Facebook.com slash show. And if you haven't subscribed to the show on Apple Podcasts already, please consider it. Apple Podcasts subscriptions are an important part of getting podcasts more prominence and more listeners. And while you're there, we appreciate every rating and review. Every thumbs up helps us find new listeners and keep the show going. Thanks to Colin the Animal Griffith for his assistance in producing the show. And thanks to Genevieve Kosky for providing recording space at her home base, Genevieve Kosky's apartment. The Next Picture Show is proud to be part of the film spotting family of podcasts and the Panoply network. Please tune in next time.